My name is Keith Beavers, and what was classical music back in the day? It wasn't even really classical, right? It was like, yo, Bach just dropped his new cantata. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 8 of Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair. It is season 2, and how are you? So about, I don't know, almost 3,000 miles away from New Zealand is this huge continent, this huge island, the largest in the world called Australia, and they make wine and we have to talk about it. It's a little bit crazy. Let's do this. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Whitehaven. From the sunny bays and lush green vineyards of Marlborough comes a new world Sauvignon Blanc that only New Zealand can offer. Whitehaven's winemaking philosophy centers on the pursuit of quality without compromise, a principle that is supported at every step from vineyard to glass. Whitehaven uses only Marlborough grapes in our wines, ensuring that only truly authentic Marlborough character is in every bottle. Inspired by a dream, try Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc. Your haven awaits. It's big. It's hot. It's a continent. And it's an island. It's just, it's, it's Australia. It is one of the most unique places on earth. Now, New Zealand's pretty damn unique. I mean, we know like the biodiversity of New Zealand is crazy. You imagine a place that didn't see humans until about 800 years ago. And just that, those two islands have been existing like that for a long time. It's just crazy. But it's very similar in, in Australia. It's a very, it's just a very different place. 80% of wildlife in Australia is indigenously unique to Australia. You don't see these these species anywhere else. New species are being discovered in like every couple of years or something like that. The Great Barrier Reef is generally regarded as the world's largest living organism. Like that's, that's insanity. And it's the only continent that's a single country it's also the largest island on the planet and if you set it on top of the united states it's basically the size of the united states it's crazy and when it comes to wine just it's it's i don't know it's nuts this is such a big country such a big continent it has six states like we have united states it has it has states six states and each of them is just huge and that's the thing about australia there's there's so much to talk about with australia that i of course as usual can't get it into 20 minutes so we're gonna have a discussion about australia because there are 60 wine regions in that country and i can't get to all of them not only that is Even though there are certain varieties that thrive or do well in certain wine regions, the Australians do not discriminate when it comes to grapes. They have pretty, I don't know, maybe almost every grape you can name they have in Australia. The the Australian winemakers are such, and New Zealand winemakers as well, they're in the 90s and the late 90s and the early 2000s, they were considered flying winemakers. They, they are a, a group of, a, 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 I guess you could say like a, a kind of winemaker that is so um, voracious for information and experience that when their harvest is over in the Southern Hemisphere, 
they fly to the northern hemisphere for harvest and start working in Europe and the United States and other wine regions. It's, it's, it's crazy. Some of them never come back to Australia. They stay like in Argentina or in California or, but it, they're, they're some of the most focused, um, confident winemakers out there. And what's really crazy is even though there are Appalachians, there are, well, not Appalachians, there are wine regions like the, like New Zealand, it's not a definite controlled Appalachian system. You have these areas and these regions that have vineyards in them with names of the regions and wine is grown there, but it's not a full on controlled Appalachian system. So there's really no way to kind of like, you know, go through the system to under help you guys understand what's going on. We just got to talk about everything that's happening. There are no indigenous vines in Australia. There are, you know, there wasn't like a hybrid thing going on there. And I'm saying this because it's so far out there from where vines were that it's just crazy how European vines made their way to this place and at some point started making great wine. But none of that would have happened if it wasn't for a gardener or the son of a gardener from Edinburgh, Scotland, named James Busby. This guy loved agriculture, and when he made it to New Zealand and then eventually Australia, he fell in love with the place so much that he decided this is where I'm going to grow wine. He had had interest in wine. He actually went all over France and Germany and Spain to learn about wine. He wrote some books about viticulture, and it was his mission in life to bring the vine to Australia and make it work. He had already done it in New Zealand. He actually was one of the first winemakers in New Zealand. He would sell his wine to to British troops. I mentioned that in the New Zealand episode. But this guy, James Busby, he's kind of, I guess, what is it, the, the father of wine or like the prophet of wine or the dude who started the wine thing really in Australia. Once he thought vines could grow and wine could be made in Australia, in 1831, he went back to England and proceeded to tour all over the continent of Europe, learning about vines, learning about wine. And he ended up taking a bunch of cuttings back to Australia to get the whole, basically he just got the whole wine industry started in Australia. It's thought that he brought 680 vines, but that's not, you know, they weren't all individual vines or probably like a, a group of one grape, a group of another grape. And this moment here is this, it's legend. I don't even know if it's real or not, but it's a really cool story. The story is that when James Busby was in France, he was in the Rhone region and he got vine cuttings of what they at the time called Skiros, the grape Skiros. And he brought that and a bunch of other grapes back to Australia. And the Skiros grape was actually Syrah. But because it was labeled Skiros, at some point, the Australian dialect or accent uh, became Skiros, Shiraz, into Shiraz. So we're going to talk a lot about that in another episode. But it's kind of a cool little fun story. I'm not really sure if that's true or not, but I like it. Another little fun story about Australia is they're the ones that invented the bag and box. Yeah. By a, a winemaker named Thomas Angove. And in 1960, I think it was 1965, 
he was inspired to create this bag and box based on a product that was already in the market, but for battery acid. So it was a bladder that had battery acid in it and it was covered by a box. And he was like, you know what else would be good in that? Wine. Brilliant. Okay, so if you look at Australia and you train your eye down towards the southeastern corner of the country slash continent slash island, that southeastern chunk of Australia, that's where all the wine is made. There is wine, some wine being made in the southwest, but just not as much, and we don't see a lot of that coming onto the market. We're starting to see some wines from the Margaret River, but we mostly see wines coming from the southeastern part of the country. And these wine regions are in states, and they're, like I said, they're, they're huge. So you have, in the, so- in the southeastern part of Australia, you have South Australia, the state of South Australia, the state of New South Wales, the state of Queensland, and then you have Tasmania, which is an island just off the southern coast. That is where the majority of the wine is made. And even though there are grapes that are doing very well and very popular in certain regions, the Australians plant every grape. I mean, there's Tempranillo from Spain happening in Australia, Riesling, Roussan from the Rhone, of course, Shiraz, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, um, I mean, you name it. It's Sauvignon Blanc, Cab Franc, you name it. It's being grown in Australia. And if the Australians can make a grape work, they're going to run with it. And I, but because of the popularity of Shiraz, almost every region basically grows Shiraz. But like I said, there's other grapes. So let's get to some of these wine regions so we have an idea of what we're looking at when we see a bunch of wine bottles from Australia. In this southern east section of the country, in the western corner of this section, is the southern part of the state of South Australia. This is where the majority of wine that you will see in the market comes from. It's responsible for almost half of the annual production of wine in Australia. And there are a bunch of wine regions in this area. But the ones we're going to see is a couple valleys. You have Barossa Valley, which, I mean, you're going to see that everywhere. It is one of the oldest wine-growing regions in Australia. This is the home of Penfolds, which is the winemaker that really kind of made a, made a big statement on the American market. This, this is a very old, historical, all-dry-farmed, meaning it was never irrigated to this day, is a big deal. And we're going to see some, this is like Shiraz land. We're going to see great, big, inky, beautiful Shiraz coming from this area. Barossa Valley's neighboring region to its west is one of Australia's, I guess you'd call it a fine wine region of Australia. It's called the Adelaide Hills. And this is a region that actually has two subregions in it, Piccadilly Valley and Lenswood Valley. Now, I don't know if you're going to see that on labels, but it's, it shows that there is terroir here. Whenever you see these subregions, they're kind of saying, okay, not only is Adelaide Hills awesome, but these two places are special for a reason as well. This region is also known for Shiraz, but the Shiraz here, as full-bodied as it is, can get a little bit spicy and almost close to what, it was, what it's like 
in its home in the Rhone of France. Also, what's done here are sparkling wines made from primarily Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, obviously. Going north, the Adelaide Hills are part of this mountain range. And to the north of that is another valley called Clare Valley. And this place, Clare Valley, is historically very important in Australia. And when we do the episode on screw cap versus cork, we're going to talk a lot about this place. But Clare Valley is known for extremely popular, wonderfully age-worthy, crispy and deep Riesling. It's, it's just amazing how Riesling works in this area. And there are a lot of others, but well, like you're going to see McLaren Vale, which is going to be coming more and more onto the market with a really kind of like spicy herby Shiraz. There's also Eden Valley, which is just south of Barossa Valley or neighboring Barossa Valley, and they do Rieslings as well. But that's the stuff you got to keep an eye out on. But Barossa Valley, Clare Valley, Adelaide Hills, you're definitely going to see. And actually, there's a region way down south towards the coast called Kunawara. And that place is known for its Cabernet Sauvignon, not necessarily its Shiraz. And we're going to see, we're actually starting to see more and more from Kunawara on the market. East of the state of South Australia, you move into the state of Victoria. Now, this place is like crazy populated with wine and wine history. There are 800 producers in Victoria and Victoria is pretty small. So they're all packed in there. I mean, I think there's like 20 wine regions just in Victoria alone. There is a lot, well, there's a good amount of wine from Victoria on the American market. And you're going to see them from regions with names like Rutherglen, Alpine Valley, Beechworth, King Valley, Sunbury, Mornington Peninsula, Bendigo. But the one region in Victoria that is making a big noise on the American market is the Yara Valley. Because this place, and this is very exciting, guys. <laughs> this is a place where they decided it was a good idea to blend Shiraz with a white wine called Viognier. And the result is just awesome. It's like this beautiful, bright, berry fruit, red wine. It has depth to it, but then you feel this sort of clean sort of white acidity just running through it. It's a very cool thing. And that's kind of the one place in Victoria that is standing out. But all the other places I mentioned, and there's more of them, of course, Shiraz, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, there's all kinds of grapes being grown in this area, but Shiraz basically rules the day. And Yara Valley is unique because of that blend of Shiraz and Viognier. You're not going to see a lot of it right now, but it's coming. But the Bendigo region in Victoria is doing really awesome cab. And there's a place called the Goldburn Valley. And the unique thing about that area is they're messing around with Roussan, which is this, it's, it's great. Roussan from Australia, especially from this region, region is awesome. There's not a lot of it in the American market, but it's coming and it's delicious. Then we go north from Victoria into the state of New South Wales. And there's a lot of wine growing regions here too. But what this state is doing, I guess what I should say is what's blowing the minds of people in the wine industry right now from this region is a valley called Hunter Valley. And in this valley, they grow a grape called Semillon. If you remember our Bordeaux episode, you'll remember that Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc is 
the blend of Bordeaux. And somehow this native Bordeaux variety over in the Hunter Valley of Australia makes incredible wine. Semillon that can age, well, so far they're saying like 20 years, which is, which is wild. And that it develops into this beautiful thing that if you, if you sip an old Semillon, sometimes you think that it's just a bunch of oak, but it's not. It's just the age of the wine. It's a very unique place with very unique wine. And because of the popularity of this area, there are, the surrounding regions are starting to get a little bit of um, recognition as well. This region was originally known mostly for Chardonnay, so there's still good Chardonnay coming out of that area. It's because, you know, I don't know, the, the, the climate of that area, warm days, cold nights, it brings sort of a fruity, juicy, round Chardonnay. It's very fun and very enjoyable stuff. Very good. And there are more places like Heathcote and Henty and the Grampians, and there's actually the Pyrenees. <laughs> there's a Pyrenees. It's actually a joke because the Pyrenees, I mean, it's like just like, really low-lying hill. It's a good Australian joke. There's wine everywhere in Australia, and we're going to see more of it. The reason I'm saying this, I keep on saying this over and over again, Australia never backed really away from our market. We backed away from Australia. I think at some point we got overwhelmed, overstimulated, I should say, with the Shiraz, the big, inky, full-bodied Shiraz. Of course, Malbec comes in the market and replaces that big, inky with Malbec big, inky, but the thing about Australia and what, what their focus is going forward is they want to show us on the American market that they are not just a big Shiraz ocean. They want us to know that they, are, they can be fine wine, smaller producers, all this. The majority, not the majority, there are a lot of wine regions that we're going to start seeing in the future from Australia that are small. Some of these wine regions have 20 winemakers in them. And what they're doing is they're focusing. The Australians are good at this. They, they, are, they, they are focused and they are confident and they, when they hit it right, they hit it and they just keep on hitting it right. So we're going to start seeing a lot more of Australia come onto our market, but it's going to be more expensive. And that's just the way it has to be. It's, it's because it comes from a long way away and it's usually in a smaller yield. The thing is, we have to kind of get used to the idea that Australian wine that's going to blow our minds is going to be a little bit higher in price. But the thing is, I think we should be open to the idea of tasting these wines because Australia isn't all just Shiraz. Australia is all kinds of stuff. I mean, I I would say there's, you know, Riesling, Shiraz, and Cabernet Sauvignon, and Chardonnay. Those, those four really, really do well all across the wine-growing regions of Australia. But like I said, Tempranillo, Cab Franc, there's so many other vines that are being grown and, 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 and blended, and we just have to wait and see. So this is, again, this is a very general overview of Australia because of how intense it is. But this season, we're going to have a couple episodes that will reference Australia. We'll get more interest, more more uh, information on the history of the place. But this will kind of get you started in Australia with some regions that you already will see and an idea of just opening your mind for what's to come from the land down under. Mm-hmm.
Divine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Whitehaven. From the sunny bays and lush green vineyards of Marlboro comes a new world Sauvignon Blanc that only New Zealand can offer. Whitehaven's winemaking philosophy centers on the pursuit of quality without compromise, a principle that is supported every step from vineyard to glass. Whitehaven uses only Marlboro grapes in our wines, ensuring that only truly authentic Marlboro character is in every bottle. Inspired by a dream, try Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc. Your haven awaits. Don't you wish this song was on Spotify? I always want just to ride this out, you know?